Who would make a better stand-up, Donardo or Griffith? Ooh, uh, I think Donardo. Donardo. He's got some natural. He's got some natural tendencies towards being funny. There's some shtick there with the old, uh, the old guy. Well, and you're being polite. There's some loose screws. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. I am being polite. I'm going to see him in several days here. <laughs> that was Alan True, and this is On the Bench with Mike Hall. That's me. Alan True is a longtime guest on the Big Ten Network when it comes to recruiting. He's been our main recruiting analyst on our annual signing day shows for years and years. His expertise comes from being a football talent scout for nearly two decades. His writing with 24-7 has long been excellent and widely respected, especially among the Midwestern states. But if you have seen him on our show, you know he's more than just a writer or a scout. He is funny and quick legitimately. And that's not by accident. He's a professional comedian, too. He's done stand-up comedy for years, opening for big names like Maria Bamford, Tim Meadows, Pete Holmes, and many more. We'll dive into the stand-up in a bit, but I started by trying to figure out how he even got into football recruiting in the first place. I started an NFL draft website in the eighth grade. It was my computer's project. <laughs> and no one knew how old I was. And I got credentialed for the NFL combine a couple of years later and went down. And that's how I got started. And then eventually somebody from what was Scout at the time uh, happened upon the website, asked me if I wanted to do some draft stuff. And then I transitioned into the uh, recruiting stuff. You must have been out of your mind as a high schooler getting access to the combine. Oh, yeah. I'm a big Steelers fan. So when Bill Cower was up at the podium, it took me pretty much the entire time he was up there to muster up the courage to ask a question. And then when I asked the question, he goes, that's a really good question, actually. And I was, it made my life. I mean, I still remember it to this day. Oh, man, that is really gutsy. Like, where did you get that confidence as such a youngster? I, you know, it's either confidence or just plain naive stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> the internet was a lot smaller back then too. So, yeah. you know, they credentialed me. I think it was maybe three or four years after that, I applied for a credential again and they were like, no, nah, not this time. And I was like, why? And it was because they had had so many more people applying that I think I just kind of right place, right time a little bit. How do you go from a, literally a young kid just trying to do anything to being like, oh, I actually know what I'm doing. I know how to evaluate who is a good talent and who's an average talent. I think always feeling like I didn't know and asking a lot of questions. And I was always, you know, growing up, even growing up, honestly, I was always reading the draft guides. Um, middle school, even elementary school, I begged my mom to buy the, it was the Joel Bucks bomb like pro football weekly something draft guy and I would get it mailed to my house and I'd just read it religiously. So always kept learning even now. I mean, I'm always asking people who know more than me about evaluation. So at some point after I had maybe was right on a couple of things, I started to feel like, okay, I, I at least know somewhat of what I'm talking about, but it was just a complete learning process. If someone doesn't like an evaluation and they say, well, what do you know? You never played at a high level. What's your comeback line? Well, you know, a lot of people don't know. I did play growing up. I never got to the college level, but played all through. So I have, have put on the pads a little bit here and there. But I also think that when you look in the NFL, I look at the personnel departments, look at even the head coaches. Not all every head coach in the NFL played football at all, let alone at a high level. Um, Bill Belichick did play football, but it's not like he was the greatest player 
himself. I think it's different skill sets, right? Uh, being able to play, there's a very physical component to that. Being 6'6", 250 pounds doesn't necessarily help you be a better evaluator. <laughs> so I always say there's, there's different, two different skill sets for two different jobs. That's a good answer. If you had to put a number on it nowadays, um, not when you were in eighth grade, but nowadays, how many kids are you analyzing in any given class? Oh, boy. You know, as a company, we're like well into the thousands. Me personally, in my region, I mean, hundreds for sure. So I would guess somewhere in the I mean, we have a hundred and some kids ranked just in the state of Michigan and a hundred something in Ohio. So I would have to think I'm over 500 just in my, my region. And then when we, I dip over and help the other, we all kind of have checks and balances where we check each other's region. So I guess we're still all pushing close to a thousand huddle tapes that we've watched in a given class. Yeah. So you mentioned huddle tapes. So how many, what percentage of when you're watching something is on tape as opposed to being there live Are are, are any analysis done live or is it all we want to have it on tape so we can stop and look back etc i think our goal at least for the top end guys is to see them all in person at some point now that's not always in games it's just impossible with that many weeks in the season so you have so many game weeks that we go and we have to try to hit multiple games so plan you can make a thursday friday saturday night otherwise hope to see the kids at a camp seven on seven even if we have to stop by the school uh i think you know covid had changed that a lot because we weren't going out as much going into schools before that. I think we were hitting a pretty high percentage of at least seeing the kid in person, meeting them in person, at least seeing what they look like physically. And then a lot of the times, at least being able to see them run around and go through a workout, if not in a seven on seven or in a game or something. And what's the value? Why is it better to try to see them in person? Well, I think highlight tape, first of all, can be a little bit deceiving because it is just the best plays. It's hard to to know that you don't see a lot of the deficiencies, right? You're just comparing who has the best highlight tape. So seeing them in person, I think you get to see what they do, you know, depending on the position when they're not, when they don't have the ball, when they're not making a highlight play. And sometimes, you know, like for a running back, for instance, the run that may translate the best is a four or five yard run between the tackles that doesn't show up on a highlight tape. We don't necessarily see how a kid grinds out yardage. You also don't necessarily know situational football, on the highlight tape did this quarterback make a great throw on third and 17 when his team needed it or was that a garbage touchdown at the end of the game they were losing you don't know those things and then i think seeing what they're built like um kids do lie on their heights and weights mike it happens so <laughs> being able to verify that uh, helps and then just get, i think some feel there's some just general feel for being there in person with a kid best player you ever saw in person play high school ball the first year that I went to the Under Armour All-America game, this was the first year I'd ever been exposed to kids of that level. The two receivers on the one team were Julio Jones and A.J. Green. And I kind of <laughs> went, oh, my gosh. I'm coming from my little West Michigan bubble. Um, had played against or seen some good players in this area. And then when I saw those guys, it was like, wow, this is what's out. These guys are 17, 18-year-olds. So I, I think still to this day, when I get asked that question, those are the, the first two guys that spring to mind. I mean, they're both still playing football. So uh, I, I, I think of those two right away. That's impressive. Um, I'm testing your memory. So it's okay if the answer's not there because I have a terrible memory and you've been doing this for a lot of, a long time with thousands of guys. But can you give me an example of a guy that you personally liked 
that maybe the world didn't say, oh, he's definitely a five-star, but you're like, no, no, I'm telling you he's good. And then he did end up turning out to be really good. I think the best example of that, and I wish I had trusted myself and ranked him higher is Corey Davis. Mm -hmm. Um, He had a high school, his high school quarterback went to Illinois, Riley O'Toole. You may remember Riley at Illinois. And we were scouting Riley and I went to see Riley and I saw the receiver catching the balls. And I was like, that guy is, you know, I asked, does he have any offers? He had no offers. I sent it, the link out to a bunch of places and people that I knew and trusted. Said, Can somebody tell me what's wrong here? And nobody ever really got back to me. It was kind of real late in the cycle. So he ends up going to Western Michigan. And I think I might be pretty good there. Why don't we kind of slap like a middling three-star on him and see how this goes. And then he becomes a first round pick. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I should have uh, rolled the dice a little bit there, but he's the one that most comes to mind where I, I just couldn't figure out what was wrong. Yeah. Well, how does that work? Like, how does a star ranking come to be? Is there some sort of a formula or math behind it? Or is it literally just, you, you've seen enough, you got to trust your gut, I say four star. It, it's more of the second, more of the latter. Uh, there's not, I think people think, it's formulaic. It's not like we punch in number of offers with yards that you accumulated or whatever, and it spits out the rating. We, uh, we assign it and a team of us does it contrary to popular belief. I don't just sit here and, <laughs> and do them all myself. We have a, like I said, a checks and balances system. And then we have three people whose entire job it is, is just scouting. They don't chase down where they're going or anything like that. They're just watching tape and checking over Uh, my evaluations. And I think now having, you know, years and years of experience to be able to say, this is what a, you know, the bottom of the forest looked like. This is what the middle of the forest looked like. And having some of that cross comparison to say, this is what we rated a 90 in the past. This is where we were right and wrong. We can now fit them into those boxes based on what we know of the past. And I think we've all gotten much better at it, honestly, over the, over the years. But you can't, go rogue like obviously you'd want to you'd want to burn the the whole city down but you can't say no 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 this guy that nobody likes i'm saying a five star and he becomes it there are multiple other people who have to come close or agree with your ranking before it gets that that designation yeah i think that uh over the years i've built up some ability you know some they have some trust in me to uh because of the Corey davises and there's been some other guys that have been on the table on for that uh that have turned out to where I have some influence there, but yeah, it's not, I've been, I've been voted down plenty of times before it too. So um, it, it's not just me, but I do get to give generally an initial rating. We like to start guys. A lot of guys start kind of in the middle or the bottom of the threes. And then we move them up as we find out more about that. So I, I do have a say in how those guys are ordered and, and particularly within the States that I cover kind of the order that they go in. Uh, I don't usually get too much pushback or anybody changing those up too much how often do you get a pitch from a mom a dad a coach in high school to say no 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 you got my guy wrong he's got to be a blank rating instead of what you have him it's probably happened like 10 times since i silenced my phone to go on this show (laughs) (laughs) it happens all the time i mean it's it's constant um constantly wanting to be reevaluated constantly i get i get i mean i get some really good pitches people put together video of like here's me going against a guy that you have higher here's my stats versus this i mean people put together some really nice presentations and i try to look at all of them i mean honestly i can't almost can't get to all of them but it does happen pretty regularly can can you remember one in particular like a pitch that stood out that was either funny or ridiculous or that swayed you completely 
not necessarily. I can remember some that I ignored that I wish I hadn't. Oh yeah. Oh man. I still have an email from TJ Watts dad where he wasn't real happy with us. And as a Steelers fan, I'm happy every time he gets a sack, but I'm also like, Oh man, I should have probably read that email through a little bit more. (laughs) He turned out. Okay. He, he did turn. Okay. He did. He did turn out okay. Probably yeah. I, that was. That's one. That's like probably the number one with a bullet. Uh, I screwed that one up. We should have listened. Yeah. Well, in that case, I hope he plays another fifteen years so that yeah. we can. <laughs> I should. I should really frame that email and have it back here. You absolutely should, just to keep you humble. You know, keep you centered. Oh yeah. Oh, listen. I have plenty of people in my life, professionally and personally, to keep me humble. Right. Yeah. You're married. You have kids. We get it. You got <laughs> no big head for you. <laughs> How is Big Ten recruiting now different from when you started focusing on the league? I think things move faster for one thing. Um, they've, the, the Big Ten has kind of joined the arms race, you know, I, and I knew that that was happening a couple of years ago when Iowa took a commitment from Aaron Graves when he was a freshman and Iowa traditionally you know, Iowa, Wisconsin schools like that were always, let's wait, let's offer guys late, let's not jump in on freshmen, sophomores, even sometimes juniors to an extent. I think those schools still stick to their formula, but they offer more young players and underclassmen than ever before. So I think that the league, along with the rest of the country, has sped up. I always thought the Big Ten would kind of be last to take part in offering, you know, sophomores and all that, but they've, they've, they're doing more of that. I cover more of that than ever before. Is there an underrated state in terms of recruiting? Like we know that the South has tons of kids and in the Midwest, Pennsylvania and Ohio have an awful lot. Is there one that you go, you know, this state people overlook and they shouldn't. I think that maybe not just one, but that whole kind of upper ring of Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, there's always NFL players coming out of there and the States don't produce like tons and tons of power five guys. But when they do, when you look at the hit rate of the guys that are out of there and even the ones that get missed, the ones that bounce out of there and go to North Dakota state or the ones that have to walk on at Wisconsin, Iowa or Minnesota, there's a shocking number of those guys who were walk-ons or were lower ranked recruits who end up playing on Sundays. Yeah. You know, speaking of states, so for a while now, the South has produced more elite players than any other region in the country, and it's, it's, it's not going away. What are the reasons for that? For somebody who doesn't follow recruiting, but they see, boy, so many kids in Florida and in Texas and Georgia and Alabama are consistently really good. Some come to the Big Ten and some don't, but why is that region in particular so, you know, full of wealth when it comes to talented players? You know, I don't know that, I have a concrete answer. There's a lot of theories, right? You know, a lot of people up here like to say it's because you're around football. Those guys are training. Those guys are playing football in the spring. Florida has spring football. Other states, you know, the kids are able to get outside and throw the football around, do seven on sevens. But I think up here, we're starting to do more of that because there's more indoor space. Um, It does cost money, but the kids are finding ways to make that happen. Um, I, I think that people have talked about population. And so there's, there's that. Now, I think some of it has to honestly come down to, I guess there's just, it's just gene pool purely, you know, if you're pumping out that many athletes per year and those athletes are coming back and having children and those children are going to be big and athletic, there's got to be something to that also. So I I don't know that I have a a firm answer. It might be a combination of all of those factors, honestly. 
if there was one thing you'd like to change about recruiting, what would it be? Ooh, that's a good one. I think that the rules are a little bit too stringent, like right now during the recruiting um, process, during this part of the year about coaches coming into the school. The coaches come, come into the school where they have this bump rule where you're supposed to just, oh, I just happened to run into your star recruit in the hallways, and I guess I can say a couple words to them. Like these kids, now then you're asking them to then go visit schools all across the country on their own dime to talk to these coaches. It's like these coaches have flown here to talk to them. Just let them have the conversation. And I get that you don't want them, you know, being pulled out of school all day. But I think that that rule would really help a lot of kids be able to make their decisions sooner. Something's got to be done about this portal, too. There's just, there's so many guys in it. They're not getting out of there. It's hurting high school recruiting. I don't know what the solution is, um, but, but something clearly has to, there, there, there's going to come to a crossroads with the portal and uh, high school recruiting pretty soon here, I think. Now we're going to have plenty more insight on recruiting from you on our signing day show. Um, But let's get to some of the fun stuff. Uh, You and I had a nice bond early on because uh, for a long time in my 20s and early 30s, when I wasn't doing sports casting, I was doing improv comedy. You didn't do improv, but you've done stand-up for a long time. When did you first start doing stand-up comedy? So I uh, actually, look at this. That's the uh, last Lakers standing competition I did in college. This was the first time I ever did stand-up just thought I would try it. And I won the contest. And so that was 2007. And uh, the guy that hosted it, his name is Pete Dominic. I think he's on Sirius now. He's done some stuff on CNN. He was the host. And he said, hey, why don't you come out to New York if you're really interested in pursuing this? And I'll take you around to some clubs and show you the ropes. And he probably thought there's no way this kid's going to come from Allendale, Michigan to New York City this following spring. But there I was. And uh, I, I, that's, that's kind of how I got him. He took me to a bunch of clubs. I performed at the Laugh Factory. Um, that was my third time on stage. I went from two shows at my college rec room to Laugh Factory in Times Square. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> what was your material back then? And how does it compare to your material now? My material back then was all based around my college and my school. So when I tell you no one in New York City got it, no one in New York <laughs> city got it it's like hey don't you guys hate it when you're crossing the bridge on the other side of campus and and uh so that was like i I probably got to expand what i'm writing about here so um (laughs) when you first start there's no uh, for me there was no like this is what my material is like it's just anything you can find it's just like please fill be able to fill time at that point now a lot of it for me is based on family children give you a lot of material as i'm sure yep you're very aware of um I try to sprinkle in some current events, try to talk a lot about growing up. Uh, I really don't talk about, I don't blend the two at all. I don't really ever talk about my job or football on stage, honestly. How would you, if someone hasn't seen your act, how would you describe your style on stage? Uh, I think I'm pretty like laid back and reserved. I think I try to let the material speak for itself. I'm not really this guy who's jumping around up there a bunch. I'd like to think it's cerebral. I think every comic wants to think that they're doing like smarter material. I hope that I, uh, I succeed in that. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, I, w- I would say it's, it's more cerebral material about, you know, kids and growing up and all that. And we mentioned you have kids. We mentioned you have a wife. We mentioned you have a full-time job. So how often are you getting out there on stage and, and doing shows? 
I have a great agency that books me who understands all of these things. And so they just sort of throw stuff at me and I accept or don't accept. I, mean, I did a show last night. So sometimes if it's local here, I can just get everything done. Everyone's in bed. I can pop out and do it. I would say every couple, every couple weeks with certain pockets of the year when recruiting's dead, where I can do more. Yeah. I just watched uh, the new Aziz Ansari on Netflix last night. Do you find, and again, stand-up was never my skill set. That wasn't a, a, a muscle that I was good at, at flexing. But do you find like, oh, you like watching other stand-ups either for entertainment purposes or to study? Or are you sort of like, I just don't want anything somebody else does to seep into what I do? Yeah, I think you have to be careful of that for sure. But I do like watching it. It inspires me, especially because I don't do it full time. Uh, I get kind of out of the loop. I get, I guess it's like sitting on the bench for too long. I get cold. Um, and I need to get kind of reinvigorated uh, or re-inspired to write sometimes. And it helps to hear other people's material. Not like I'm taking that, but it just gets the juices flowing a little bit. And, and also keeps it current because you, you can stay away from stand up for a couple of years. And I turn around and I'm like, there's a lot of younger people coming in with different styles and, and different ways of looking at things. And I don't ever want to become like the old stale guy. Right. So I try to keep it current and that, and that helps. So I do like watching it. I've become desensitized to the point where it's hard to watch it just as entertainment, but there's enough like really good standups out there that I still, but it takes that like almost top level for me to watch it as entertainment. Otherwise I'm always like, why? And the scout in me is always kind of breaking <laughs> down. Here's this comedian's strengths and weaknesses. Uh, you've opened for big names, whether it's especially in the standup world, Tim Meadows, Maria Bamford, Pete Holmes, Chris Titus, what has that been like? Like, do you, do you try to go, I'm going to go try to have a drink with that person afterwards just for the story or to maybe learn something? Or are you sort of like, we're professional. We all do our own thing. If I was buddies with them, it'd be one thing, but. I'm pretty bad at like that networking part of it. I think I try, I don't like to be the annoying person who's like, Hey, please come hang out with me after this. If it happens organically, I'd like to think that I have a, a good feel too for whether or not that person's interested or whether they just want to go back to their hotel. Right. So um, I've probably not been as, uh, you know, aggressive on that part of it as I need to, but I've had some good experiences with those folks. And we're lucky enough to have a big festival here in Grand Rapids where a lot of the time they're just hanging out and don't have anywhere to be anyway. But uh, I'm not typically like, hey, go have breakfast with me. Did I? Well, you should, because what if they say yes? Uh, did I ever tell you my Frank Caliendo story? No, maybe okay. he did, but I might've, uh, so I'm in Charlotte in like, Oh, five Oh six or something. And I mean, it was Oh five. It was right when we, uh, we launched ESPNU <clears throat> and they have one big comedy club in Charlotte. And so I went to go see Frank Caliendo cause he was, you know, he wasn't what he is now, but he was a, a big name and he had these great impressions. And I was like, Oh, I'd love to see his show. And so I go see his show. And as I check in, the guy who owns the club, his name is, or the guy who manages the club, his name is Mike Hall. And so when I was trying to get my tickets, they like the guy at the front desk kind of gave me a hard time. And finally, this guy comes over and he goes, what's the problem? I go, nothing. I'm just trying to get my tickets. What's your name? Mike Hall. He goes, hey, I'm Mike Hall. Well, he happened to be a sports fan. And so he knew who I was. And so he was like, oh, where are you sitting? No, no, no. Forget this. I'm putting you in the front row. Come on over here, man. You got to stay afterwards. I'm going to introduce you to Frank. So I was like, okay, great. So, you know, we talked, I was by myself. I was a loner, 23. I had no girlfriend or anything. So I was just by myself, have a few drinks and I'm chatting with him and I'm explaining my situation, how I just moved to town, yada, yada. So Frank does the show. It's spotless. I mean, 90 minutes of not 20 seconds went by without an excellent joke. He was fantastic. 
And I meet him afterwards and he tells me the story about that. They almost did a bit on um, Mad TV when he was on that about Dream Job. They were going to have him be Terry Bradshaw auditioning for Dream Job. And it was like, <laughs> oh, this is crazy. So anyways, as I'm leaving, the, the guy, Mike Hall, who was a great dude to me, uh, but as I was leaving, he was like, well, you got to open up for Frank tomorrow. He's here all weekend. And I go, oh, I don't do stand-up. And he was like, hey, man, you were the one saying you're new in town. You need to meet people. This is the best way to do it. And I was like, oh, crap, he's right. I got to do this. And like you as an eighth grader or or you as a young person, like you have that confidence of like, screw it, I'll try it. So I spent like all night just trying to think of material. And I was not a stand-up comedian. And I had like a few like average impressions that would work in like a college improv group. And I was like, oh, I'll just mix those around. And I thought of some jokes and I came up with five minutes. And so um, I ended up opening for Caliendo right before he comes on stage. And I got five minutes of material and I practiced it and I timed it. And about 90 seconds in, I get the flashlight in the back, which as you know, means you're done, your time's up. And I was like, there's no way that's five minutes. And uh, so I come off stage and I, I did it by trying to do a joke because I could do the um, the voice of Saturday Night Live's voiceover guy for a long time. And he was on Mad TV. And I was like, oh, that'd be kind of funny if I, you know, did that sort of a riff. And I couldn't think of it. I froze on stage and I just blanked and it was not good. And I walked off stage and Frank was a total pro. He spent like 30 seconds being like, how great was Mike? Huh? He's so good. Awesome. And I go back and talk to Mike Hahn. He's like, oh, Frank is pissed at you. And I was like, what? He goes, you can't do impressions before an impressionist. Mm. And I was like, I didn't know. Who told me that were, I didn't, I, I didn't do improv. I didn't do stand-up. And I met him afterwards and he was, he was perfectly fine about the whole thing. But I was like, I absolutely infuriated Frank Caliendo one night. And I have that for the rest of my life. That is an incredible story, yeah. first of all. And that is kind of an unwritten rule. It's at the point where somebody asked me, like, somebody will call me up and go like, hey, you want to open for Bobby Lee? And I'm like, does Bobby oh. know that? Because you, yeah. <laughs> Asian comedian for Asian comedian, it's the same deal. You just don't, you want some element of surprise there, right? So that's, uh, but hey, that's that makes for a great story. It does. It's well worth it. I'm glad it happened. Uh, favorite comedian you've met, even not that you necessarily became Ooh. buddies with, but that you had a nice chat with at some point. Oh man, I loved Bill Burr. And I, oh, I like, he's one of my favorite comics anyway. And then when he was here in Grand Rapids, he was just the most normal guy ever. He's just hanging out eating a quesadilla, asking me about whatever boxing fight was on that night. And just an extremely normal guy for his level of notoriety. That's awesome. Who would make a better stand-up, Donardo or Griffith? Oh, uh, I think Donardo. Donardo. He's got some natural, he's got some natural tendencies towards being funny. There's some shtick there with the old, uh, the old guy. Well, and you're being polite. There's some loose screws. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. That's I am it. being polite. I'm going to see him in several <laughs> days here. So, um, All right. You've still got more prep to do. So we'll wrap up soon. But before you go, we do before you go. Four questions unrelated to anything. You ready? Yep. Ready. If you could have had the career of one comedian, who would it have been? Ooh, I'm going to pick this. Is, this is going to be kind of an off the wall one, maybe a little bit. But Donald Glover used to do stand up. I love that. And he's on, listen, the guy is on TV. He's in movies. He gets to voice Spider-Man characters and he's a rapper. Like there's, there's just too much talent there. It's, it's, it's almost, it's borderline annoying. So he's who I would pick. Remember he got like hired to be a 30 rock writer and it was like a big deal. And then like, he didn't even last there a year. Cause all these other entities were like, no, you're too good. We're going to take you away from that. Yeah. And then like a year, you know, I, I, I he was, 
I didn't know. I didn't hadn't put it together when he first came out that Childish Gambino was the same guy. So I'm like, <laughs> I like this music. And then he comes out with like a funk album and then he's doing like R&B covers. He's singing now. And I'm like, good. This guy is just it's too much. So yeah. he's, he's an easy choice for me. Number two, the last good book you read. Last good book I read. Um, you know, this is going to I don't read a whole lot of books. My wife is on my case all the time. So I don't know if I really have an answer there. Don't read. You know, it's probably a sports book. You know what I read? I read Muck City, oh. which is uh, about recruiting down in Florida in like Pahokee in that area and it's it's the muck and they like chase rabbits in order to improve their quickness like through the through oh. the muck and all that yeah that was that was probably the last one i read that i was like okay i like this number three give me the first thing that comes to mind when i say the last time one of your kids did something that cracked you up Ooh, uh re last week my daughter asked me to rap battle her as characters so i was godzilla she was king kong or no i was king kong and she was godzilla and she rap battled me as if i was king kong and she absolutely slayed me please tell me at least you or your wife recorded that just for you guys oh it's yeah it's it's out there on social media people have been commenting <laughs> on that yeah. number four why do you keep coming back and doing tv with me every year you you are the you're the reason for that you know it's it's so much fun uh, what else would I be doing on signing day? It's not like there's a million other responsibilities that I'd have. Uh, I think that I do it for the free hotel room in Chicago the night before I get to get away from my family <laughs> and just write articles in the, Oh, it's so nice. Once I get there and check in, I'm like, I can just write all these articles without anybody bugging me. Uh, but no, you guys are, listen, I, you want to talk about, you talked about me going to the combine and doing stand up and all those things. Year one, super intimidating. I think I was 22, 23, Howard's won a Super Bowl. Jerry's coached all these years. And I'm going like, I got to talk, tell these guys what I think about a couple of recruits here. Yeah. Well, you hung. You hung from day one. We remember that. We were all impressed that first time. But I do love your first answer. There's nothing to a, a parent of young children like a quiet night away from your kids. That hotel room is, I always send a picture of it to my wife and she gets all angry. I'm like, look at this room I've got. <laughs> kicking my feet up i got the invention of grubhub too like oh man i don't even have to leave here i'm just gonna get something <laughs> delivered it's great alan you're fun i'll Listen, see you on signing if, day uh, if uh if btn hr is listening if that room ever goes away you're gonna have to find another recruiting analyst <laughs> i'm just saying that now <laughs> thanks for the time man i'll see you soon anytime i'll see you that was alan pretty fascinating guy you know lots of fun to hang out with my thanks to him for joining us. Hope to see you on our signing day show this year and every year. From the Big Ten Network in Chicago, I'm Mike Hall. We'll see you next time.